John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 536.ac0409 certificate number 42674 goat glands what do you think about goats you ever have goats growing up never had goats i've had very limited exposure to goats um limited cabrine exposure this is a great opportunity to talk about my walk across Europe. There weren't any goats there, were there? There were lots of goats, and I met lots of goats on that trip. Goats. What's the vibe? What are European, Central European goats like? Friendly? Well, you know, they're the goats that are in um, fenced-off fields. And then as you move further south in Europe, further southeast, you get into Romania and the like. You, Countries where goats can be like prime minister. You find <laughs> That's terrible. No, but you find a lot of goats that are actually being herded uh, and they're moving from from place to place in the mountains. So I walked across the Carpathians, as I've probably found opportunity to say many times. And were you often stopped by a convoy of goats? I did. I did walk many goat trails. I did meet many goat herds coming through the rye. Uh, At one point, I stopped and talked to a shepherd. A lonely goat herd? I don't think he was a shepherd. No, no, no. You're right. He wasn't ships. I'm quite convinced he was a... A a, A goat herd. A gothard. And uh, he uh, reached into his pocket in the the spirit of of our uh, camaraderie and fraternity in the side of this mountain. Schnapps. And he pulled some goat cheese. Wow. Not wrapped. Just goat cheese. Just sitting in his pocket. Just straight up pulled a handful of goat cheese out of his pocket and offered some to me. And of course I accepted. I do that at the movies all the time. Just, you just like, reach in my pocket, pull out a thing of goat cheese covered like, hey, in lint. Want any goat cheese? Hand it to my neighbor. Uh, and I felt like, if, is there a better goat cheese in the world than this than this goat herd's je- goat cheese? And there is better goat cheese was in the good? world. But it was good. I mean, at the time, I was living on rotten plums. So the goat cheese <laughs> was a killer, killer uh, little bit of... A little bit of protein. Those are the only foods in a lot of those countries. Goat cheese. Rotten plums and, and goat cheese. And pocket cheese. <laughs> but so goats, I mean, I find them to be perfectly friendly, perfectly, I mean, they're better than geese. In, geese are uh, the worst. Oh, yeah. Geese, goats are great. Geese and swans are crabby. Yeah. They'll 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 go for your nose. Are you pro-goat? Yeah, I feel like in, um, 
you know, in urban settings now, you increasingly see goats as uh, kind of eco-friendly agents of uh, urban renewal. Pygmy you know? goats. Yeah, you got the uh, if you've got an overgrown backyard or vacant lot, instead of bringing in a backhoe, they'll just bring in a goat for a week, and it'll eat literally everything. It's the only thing that'll take out blackberries. Well, let me just add a little addenda to this. You know, I have a I have a a piece of property that was very overgrown with invasive species, and I reached out to to a goat to the goat people. There are a couple. <laughs> the goat people. There are a couple. Three different. High in the mountains live the goat people, <laughs> dancing and whistling on their pipes. I found three different goat landscapers in uh, King County and and Island County who were willing to bring between fifty and three hundred goats. Wait, what? To your property to what? clear. Why do you need that many? Well, because what they do is they fence off the area, depending on how big your property is. They fence it off, and then they just put the goats there, and the goats stay for some amount of time until they're done. Until they've digested everything? Until they've just plowed everything. And so I was like, this is amazing. Rather than pull out all this English ivy and and chop down all these blackberries, I'm just going to hire 50 goats. An army of goats. Yeah, like, no, no one can eat 50 goats. It's just the problem of, uh, of parallelism. Like, there's no problem you can't solve by throwing enough goats at it. Like 100%. Enough goats could write Shakespeare. I wonder how many, I wonder what the Erdos number of goats as a, as a group As is. a species? Yeah. But the problem was that all the goat people that I talked to were like, do you have laurel on your property? And I said, yes. And they said, laurel is poisonous to goats. Aww. And then they went down this list of things that goats can't eat. Now I thought goats could eat anything. Eat license cans. plates. Yeah. yeah. But apparently they actually don't. That's just a. No, it's sharks that eat license plates, as the, we know. That's right. The The tin can thing is a trope from cartoons, probably from goats who like to eat the glue off the labels. Oh, sure. They can't digest metal. Well, it it, it turned out that I had uh, a couple of different uh, plants. Goat-proof goat plants. Yeah, that that were poisonous to goats. And and in fact, all all of the goat people replied to me kind of with a little bit of like scorn in their voice, like, <laughs> no. We're not bringing our goats to I your feel like laurel you, infested property. I feel like you still could have solved this problem with goats. You just would have had to buy rather than rent the goats. <laughs> they would have eaten everything. Well, I wonder how good goat stew is if the goat died of laurel poisoning. <laughs> this goat curry taste has a delicious laurel-y uh, taste. Did you put a bay leaf in here? Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> I... Uh, yeah, some people find goats uh, creepy because of the. I mean, it's 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 central to our story today that goats have long been associated with different kinds of sinfulness. Right. It's not just Pan. It's it's even before Pan. Goats were, you know, in in Greek mythology there were nymphs who seemed cute and lived in ponds. They were trees. They turned into trees if you if you um if you try to date them. Yeah, that's well. Well, if you try to rape them. And uh, I think at the time it was kind of the same, unfortunately. Well, that's like the all problem. these stories are just the gods being like, the gods are not asking for consent. The gods are like, I love you. In and any what of that these means stories. is I'm coming for you. Yeah. But uh but the 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 male companion of nymphs were satyrs. Half goat. Half goat half boys. Half. Goat boys. Not living in ponds, but living in I mean, rooting around in the in the woods. And they're um and they're very they're hypersexual. Yeah, they're smelly and they, they want to hump. But is that true of goats in general? Like if you, if you were like, what's the Ken, what's the horniest barnyard creature? First of all, I would say 
Roosters. Mindy, stop asking me these weird questions. I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> Mindy, I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> wake up, wake up, wake up. What would you say? <laughs> but I don't think I would say goat. Yeah, right? Like it's a, uh, I don't hmm. know. Like aren't, uh, aren't stallions more? Uh, yeah, there you go. More, mm, what, masculine? No, or? the mighty bull. Exactly. Bulls. Yeah. There we go. There. The bull is the, is the overpowering sexual animal. So why did goats become Pan, the you know the symbol of Pan, who is, um, you know, up to no good with uh, with every nymph? They're stinky. I mean, they're pheromonal smelling. Oh, maybe that's it. And so it, could, it they kind of just smell sweaty all the time. But you think that sweat that sweat, smell used to get farmers going in, <laughs> in a simpler time, and <laughs> they would be like that goat. That goat's asking for it. You know, the other thing about goats, I have a friend that has two pygmy goats. And they really want to stand on the highest thing. Oh, yeah. I There was a goat that you would just climb up on this shed behind a, a park by our house. And every time we took the kids to the playground there, the goat would be standing on the roof. Yeah, these two goats were in a pen. And if you threw a five-gallon bucket in there, the the one goat would get up on it. And then the other goat would try and get up on it. It's like, hey, it's a five-gallon bucket. I've seen pictures of trees with multiple goats in the branches. Yeah. What do you think that impulse is? They're just climbers. They want to, they're mountain they're, they're things. Mountain goats. Yeah, they want to get up. They An- want to get high. Ancestral memory of flooding. So, hmm. so yeah, that's right. They survived the flood. They survived on Noah's Ark. <laughs> and clearly, all goats today are descendants of the two on Noah's Ark, uh-huh. as, and they went up as to scientists tell us. The top of the mast. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if that's it, that they, that they seem randy because they're trying to mount everything. But it's not that they want to have sex but, with it. They just want to get up on top John of it. John Daniel's group is not called the mountain goat. I meant mountain apostrophe the, goats. The mountain goats. Goats that are always trying to, like, get up on your leg. Or what if it was? What if he had a side project that was just uh, songs about barnyard sex? You know what? I'm going to text him right now and see how many times he's heard mountain goats as a joke. I mean, he's uh, he's into pro wrestling. Is he into... Humping? Is he into animal uh, husbandry? I mean, everybody's into humping. I don't know if he's into animal humping. I'm going to guess not. The, yeah, he's a good family man now. Yeah. He's got, yeah. A, he's got a kid. Yeah. There's some evidence that he's into humping. Yeah. <laughs> At least once. I'm going to say, I mean, he and I have never engaged in like co-humping, but we've, we've stayed in a hotel together in, a, in, in, in adjacent rooms. The, uh, you know, the, the association of goats with evil is not just Greek myth, although that seems to be the main channel through which it's come down to us. I mean, goats are a symbol of evil in the Bible. Are they really? Yeah. In the book of Leviticus, uh, there's a custom of taking two goats. One is like God's goat. But one is the uh, like Azazel goat, oh which is the scapegoat that you that you the uh, scapegoat. It's literally the scapegoat that you send out into the desert, labored, you know, uh, laden down with the sins of the of the settlement. But, and but for for communities that keep kosher or and or halal, goat is eatable, whereas pig is not. Why is pig not the evil animal? Aminal. I think it's because it has such a high bacon number. Wow. Wah, wah. Uh, the, uh, Daniel has an apocalyptic vision of the end of the world in which a four or a, a single horned goat, a goat with a single horn coming from between its eyes figures. Are there those? Uh, no. In, in Daniel's vision, that one breaks off and four new horns come two, out. Two also, horns. also, there are no oh, four, horns. four. Yeah. They're, those aren't real either. That's also does not exist. Daniel's tripping. Bro. I think all these Hal Lindsey, um, end times weirdos believe that this is a reference to Alexander the Great. Oh, who sure. had that one horn between his eyes? The four horned goat, <laughs> and then it broke up. Yeah, they called him Alexander the goat, and then it was corrupted. And even Christ in Matthew twenty five says that you know had a horn. 
has he has, has a single horn, horn coming out of his forehead. <laughs> no, he has a uh, he he tells uh, the, he tells his disciples that at the time of the last judgment, God will separate out the sheep from the goats. Like oh, the goats, the sheep, the sheep will go to heaven, the goats will go to hell. So like for without without explanation, the Bible seems to assume that we're all like, yeah, yeah, goats suck. Yeah, I mean if you if you put a goat next to a sheep. You're going to pick the sheep for cuddliness, right? Then well, how so come John Darnell doesn't have a band named um, the Cuddly Sheep? You know, Alaska mountain sheep are, are what we call the doll sheep is the, is the big mountain goat up there. But it's oh, not a goat, it's a sheep. Why are they called sheep? They're just rams up in the mountains? Yeah, big, big mountain sheep huh. uh, that are very popular with hunters. I've never fully understood like what the relationship between sheep and goats is anyway. They're kind of, they're in the same family, right? Can sheep and goats interbreed? They cannot. Do you think that's how you get keeps? <laughs> Shopes. Shopes. Uh, I think they are. Yeah. I think they're evolutionarily, they're closer, Close closer than most barnyard buddies. Um, but you, but goats are associated with Satan as well. Well, right. He's the, the goats right there on the pentagram. I guess because he's got horns. And hooves, or but maybe that's the other way around. Maybe he has horns and hooves because because he is because goats are so are so uh, stigmatized in the Bible. You think that they that they uh, evolved ho- hooves as a as, <laughs> as a defense horns, mechanism as a kind of like sympathetic. I mean, the modern uh, modern Satanists' interest in like the goat god Baphomet. Have you seen this guy? Sure, he's, he's got a, he's got a goat head. He's usually naked and he's got big bat wings. I have listened to a lot of heavy metal. And uh, and you've sold your soul to Baphomet? Nope, nope, nope. Leased it for a few years, but uh, but got it back. That's good. That's always smarter. Well, like yeah. when Satan is like, yeah, I'll... you're like, what if you make one of my dreams come true and it's a five-year lease? But you see Baphomet in a lot of metal iconography. Yes. I know people that have Baphomet tattoos. You know, Satanism was a thing. But like a lot of that stuff, it's just a 19th century invention, actually. Like it was, it was one of these occult... Crowley adjacent guys. I think uh, a French guy named Levy who just said, Hey, what if we worshiped this badass looking goat god? And he borrowed the name Baphomet from the Knights Templar of the 11th century who, uh, who were accused in some kind of trial of having gone, gone heretic and started worshiping a god called Baphomet, which is almost certainly a corruption of Mahomet, like uh-huh. what, what Muhammad was called medievally right. in the, in the West. But now wait, what wasn't the goat, what the, Israelites were worshiping when when uh, when Moses went up and threw down the. No. Oh, what was That's it? It's a calf. Oh, a calf. See, that goes right. back to your theory that the bull should be the the horny animal. The golden calf. Well, so what's the earliest appearance of of bad goat? Is it in the Epic of Gilgamesh? I don't know if there's Babylonian bad goat. Like it might be the. It might be the. I mean, the story of the of the uh, Azazel goat from Leviticus is almost certainly based on pre-existing. Yeah traditions in um in the middle east yeah there's nothing new under but the that sun. might be our oldest attested version of bad goat but today we just take it for granted that oh yeah like goats are so bad that satan is just basically a big goat he's a big goat and, right. and nobody th- thinks to ask well wh- why why do we think ghosts goats are sexy and bad do hindus have goat problems i don't think so or do the chinese have uh have any kind of goat issue i don't think so i mean uh the Hindus have the goat-headed god Nagamesha. And what does Nagamesha do? Good uh, god, bad god? Uh, uh, good god, I think. Oh, okay. I mean, there's no Hindu god that's truly bad. I mean, even, even 
Kali the Destroyer is part of the circle of the circle Well, there's no Hindu god that's truly good either. They're complicated. Yeah, they got they a lot are. going on. Just like real people. Just, I mean, they have many hands they can hold things in. Mm-hmm. Uh, associated with children and childbirth and war. So, I mean, there he actually is a fertility god. So maybe there is something universal about goats. Pumping. Uh, goats are doing it. Yeah. Um, but this this idea that goats are the most uh, what potent and randy of animals kind of reaches its cultural high point in the in America of the 1920s. Let me introduce you to one John R. Brinkley. The hmm. R was originally for Romulus, which I guess ties you back to ancient Rome, goatish traditions. Yeah. But he later changed it to Richard. He changed it to something more boring. John Richard Brinkley. Romulus Brinkley. <laughs> Nay, Romulus Brinkley, born in 1885 in some holler of rural North Carolina. His daddy had actually been, uh, it was a Civil War veteran. His dad had been a medic in the Confederate Army. And maybe uh, Brinkley thought that that medical heritage was in his blood because, you know, he became one of the wandering young people of that time. Uh, railroad, he learned how to use a telegraph and became a railroad uh, Telegrapher? Is that well, how you say that? I, yeah. I thought you were going to say that he was wandering the West just giving like free-range amputations. He, let's get, we're going to get to that because oh, okay. he did start to get into these traveling patent medicine shows right. where he and his, uh, his, I think he and his wife would do a little song and do a little dance and then, and then make a little love. They would not make a little love, oh. but they would tell you to buy some kind of, uh, of oil or, uh, medicament. You would say, if you're selling me oil, I'd like you to see him make a little love. Uh, your song and dance, sure. Is it is it a guaranteed sale from you? If you anytime you see somebody make a little love, you will buy oil from them. Mm, it depends on. I mean, it's really down to the quality of the love making. Every time you fill up your car, do you need to see the Saudis make a little hmm. love? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, Saudi love doesn't hurt. You've right? got you, now. You're looking at my porn search, search terms. <laughs> Brinkley dropped out of. Uh, I mean, he. he uh, I think he ditched that family. I think he had a kid with his traveling medicine show wife. But he decided he was going to move up in the world, which for him meant going to Chicago and attending Bennett's Eclectical Medical College, mm-hmm. which it turned out didn't require much attending at all mm. because it was pretty much a diploma mill. Mm-hmm. Um, even then. <laughs> <laughs> even then? Like, have you, have you been to Bennett's Eclectical Medical College recently? I have four degrees from them. But I thought they were, you know, I thought they had once been an accredited institution. Uh, it was kind of the, uh, there were a bunch of these eclectic medical schools, which was, I think maybe this one might have been legit, but it was kind of a flaky, naturopathy school. Um, you know, You're like we get letters. We know people attending Bastyr University <laughs> here in Seattle today getting their ND. I mean, it's important to remember that back then, uh, what we think of as medicine was just kind of one strain of options available to somebody who had a sore throat right you could go to a doctor sure you could take heroin you could yeah but or you, yeah you could go to a um what was it called that chiropractic adjacent thing that people would do uh, oh. uh but you know there were people who would give you a an, an herbalist right remedy they would give you an oatmeal enema they'd put a leech on you there were all kinds of options and Evidence-based medicine, pretty much one. Although you know, it's you can't really make fun of that stuff since I'm sure I could find ten people I know right now online trying to sell 
or their spouse is trying to sell essential oils to it, somebody. It won for a while, but it feels like it's on the wane now as more and more people are talking to me about, uh, well, what's the thing that's anti, that's the opposite of rolfing where they give you a massage by barely touching you. You know, this, that's, uh, some kind I'm of doing this to you right now. Yeah. Ooh, well, that feels amazing. I'm not even going to charge for this. Thank you, Ken. It's beautiful. I'm six feet away and I can still anti-Rolf you. You did. You anti-Rolfed me and my, my fascia all feels massaged. So, you know, it wasn't weird that he was, I mean, it didn't necessarily make him a crook that he was pursuing alternate plant-based medicinal stuff. Although no. in his case, he was a huge crook. <laughs> yeah. He, um, after he, you know, he drops out of that university, as I said, ditches his family, um, starts drinking Turns up uh, five years later in Greenville, South Carolina, where he is now an electromedic doctor. What is that? Because electricity is now on the scene as a, as a way that uh, quacks can. In his case, he doesn't actually zap you. He just, um, if you say you're impotent, he'll inject uh, colored water into your buttocks for $25. Which, you know, mm. buy me dinner first. <laughs> if, <laughs> if you... Uh, write me and say you're impotent. I will inject colored water into your butt buttocks for twenty five dollars. I'll do it for less. Listen, send a photo. Listen, I'll do it for twenty four. Don't use John. Wow. I, I'll give you that. Use promo code Omnibus, <laughs> and I'll inject colored water into your buttocks for ten percent off. Um, and obviously, this did not work. And his clientele, I think, discovered this, and so he fled to Memphis, married a second wife, got arrested for. Um, not having a license to do any of this stuff, plus passing bad checks. Wait, you can get a license to inject colored water into people's buttocks? Well, I think at the time you could get a license to practice medicine, which would give I you see. more leeway with the town. If, if if the new country doctor tells everybody that he's injecting colored water into their buttocks. Right. And let me just assume that he didn't lead with, hey, this is colored water. No, 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 you're right, you're right. He was injecting colored water, but I'm sure he was telling them that he had a, a miracle cure. Yeah, sure. He's a, an electromedic doctor. I'm sure it's, it's full of... Uh, it's full of all natural electrolytes or something. I mean, my great grandfather was a judge, and I think he went to college. I think he went to not college. I think he got his law degree on the back of a cereal box, frankly. But he came out west, and you know they they needed judges. Uh, so he's in real trouble here in South Carolina because of his check kiting, etc. Luckily, his new father-in-law uh, agrees to pay for the bounce checks. And he skips town with his, um, I think he takes his, his second wife with him. But this time he winds up at a diploma mill in Kansas City, also called Eclectic Medical University. I think Eclectic was, was you know, to them what naturopathy is to us. It just, you know, it signals some kind of non-traditional natural remedy. Yeah, yeah, Eclectic. Um that's what I look for in a doctor. Like people have called this podcast eclectic and that's what it means. We try to sell you essential oils during mm -hmm. the break. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, he, uh, he paid $100, got his diploma, which says he's now a doctor. A double, a double eclectic doctor. He never graduated from the one in Chicago. Oh, okay. He dropped out. All right. He probably leaves that off his resume. So does he say, does he put MD at the back of his name now? Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's definitely Dr. Brinkley. Mm -hmm. And he shows up in uh, Milford, Kansas, a town in need of a country doctor. And he sets up uh, practice. I think at first he was maybe practicing in Arkansas. Yep. Uh, and then through some kind of reciprocity, he got Kansas to admit him 
to their medical. He got the Kansas Medical Board on board and then moved to Milford, Kansas. This guy appears to have moved around a lot, probably because of the trail of damaged relationships and dead patients in his wake. Or, you know, just... uh, you know, over-injected buttocks in his wake. So he's he's running the telegraph office and the and the hospital now. His telegraph days are probably over. He is now the beloved Dr. Brinkley of Milford. He's got a 16-room practice because this town was down a doctor. And uh, by all accounts, he's extremely popular. He, uh, you know, he makes house calls. He knows everybody's name. During the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic, he actually... Uh, uh, is credited with saving a bunch of lives. He seems to, uh, at all odds, have turned a corner and become, you know, left his past behind him and become a good old-fashioned country doctor. Now, at this point in a movie, his past would catch up with him. But here, it's all Brinkley who does the damage to himself. Now, I should say that Milford, Kansas, uh, is still a town. It has a population of 530. I bet it was higher then if he had a 16-room clinic. Uh, it had a lumber mill back in the old days, right? Uh, but it's there in Geary County, uh, very close between uh, between. It seems like it's between Manhattan, Kansas, and Junction City, if you know what I mean. And uh, yeah, there's it's only a, 203 households. It's a good place for MIT sociologists to send postcards. To yeah, them. they should do. Uh, so at the same time as he is becoming a town hero due to his loving care and good bedside manner, he is starting to dabble in goat glands. Quoi? A farmer named Bill Stitzworth, as part of his checkup, ruse the fact that he is no longer as, uh, his libido is no longer as reliable in performance as it once was in his youth. Oh, yeah. And he jokes, you know, this is a pre-Viagra era, you know, in the future, we're speaking to People who, uh, you know, erections are a dime a dozen, I'm sure. Sure. Or if they even have them. One dime a dozen. I'll sell them to you for nine cents, undercut Ken. <laughs> Use promo code. <laughs> I'm but, you know, back then, this was a common thing that middle-aged men would uh, bewail. Yeah, they, their baldness and their lack of potency. And uh, and Sitzworth, you know, as a farmer, says, boy, I wish I was as, uh, you know, I wish I had the... The, 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 get up and go. the get up and go of my of my billy goats that I see in my pen. It might be his wife that wishes. Yes, it's probably more Mrs. Stitzworth. He's hearing about it at the breakfast table. Uh, and uh, Brinkley agrees that uh, goats are indeed, you know, the randiest of the barnyard residents. <laughs> okay. We just don't see enough goats, you and I, to, to, to formulate this opinion. I guess. So we're just going off of cartoons, which don't have enough uh, enough horny goats. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to throw this one to futurelings who are either more agrarian listeners. Yeah. Well, but you have to guess if goats are truly the horniest animal, it <laughs> means that futurelings will all be goats, right? Because variably goats. They will. They'll. They'll have you know taken over the world. Are you a Capricorn? Me too. <laughs> uh, and so he says, "Well, look, you know, and going, you know, realizing he's got this past of, of patent medicine quackery, he says, well, I'd like to try something out. Do you think goats?'" What if you let me insert a, a, the testicle of a baby goat into your scrotum, and we'll see what that does. Maybe that would give you all the native uh, uh, potency of a, of a billy goat. So he's not grinding it up and making it into a salve. He's actually taking a— You think. Yeah, he's taking a, a baby goat testicle. Six-week-old goat testicle, about the size of a macadamia nut, if you're wondering. And inserting it 
physically into your own testicles. He does not tell the patient exactly what he's doing. It really, in most cases, what he ends up doing is taking this nut-sized goat ball or a slice thereof and just um, inserting it under the skin of the scrotum. It doesn't actually go into the business end of the scrotum. This is going to cause infection. It's not a great idea. Uh, and as we see, you know, he's he's not without casualties in this practice. But, you know, he's it's a pretty simple surface-level surgery if you don't go too deep down there. And he, and he tells the patient that he's connecting up blood vessels and all the all the regenerative uh, power of the goat testicle is, is zooming into your blood and you have nothing to worry about anymore. This um, is like shark fin soup. And in fact, he's not actually doing it. Yeah, exactly. Or it's, ground rhino horn. Exactly. Or, or bear gallbladder or whatever it is that people eat today in hopes that it'll, that it'll liven up the old marital bed. Now, why is it, why is this seemingly a universal and cross-cultural idea that you take an aminal with a big boner or a horn that looks like a boner or basically like, yeah, either a horn or a big fin or just a big aminal. And then you ingest it somehow and you're going to have big boners too. I don't, I don't see. I assume it's based on the assumption of a city dweller, ignorant city dweller that uh, animals never have a hard time performing. Oh yeah, you the, guess the, the shark or the the male shark or male bear, presumably a hundred percent. You never ne- see a a bale hanging its head in shame, sitting on a rock, going, "Why can't I?" You never see a a, 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 a older bear and his and his uh, perky wife sitting on a porch swing, like in a Cialis commercial. Right. Uh, they just we assume nature uh, finds a way, and it's only modern neurosis that's preventing. Oh, it's our neuroses, sure. Or fluoride in the water, who knows. 5G, something. Ken, how's your bottom? Uh, everything's going great down there. I have, yeah. I have no complaints. This is the kind of stuff that guys our age talk about. Yeah, we just sit looking at the game. We don't yeah. make eye contact. Nope. And every so often, one of us will say, how's your, uh, how's your bottom? You know, you'll notice my hands are down the front of my pants. Not did, all the way down, but just the, you know, just the fingertips. And you did just come from the bathroom right I before did. we uh, decided to record. I did. Because that's, that's smart at our age. Yeah, I knew we were going to record this ad, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go to the bathroom because, whew, six times a day. You know what I mean? Uh, but have you embraced the future of toileting? Uh, I have. I have. I'm. I'm not using those old toilets that I spent so long. Trying to source on a, Craigslist a board with a circle cut out of it. No, I you know I have that mid-century house, and so I wanted pink and green toilets from mm. you olden times. Oh, is there a collector's market now for avocado and gold toilets? Well, I'm trying to make one. I mean, I I'm sure that there are others like me, but but uh, the thing about them is they're very wasteful and also well, <laughs> pretty rickety. Well, let me recommend to you a yeah. way to bring one of your vintage toilets into the modern age. Yeah, how would I do that? I mean, I feel so confined by the 50-gallon tank and the the beautiful green porcelain. On any toilet, you could install a brand new Hello Tushy 3.0 modern bidet attachment. Tell me what this is, Ken, and how it's, will it benefit it's, it's me? It's just a new way to clean off your, your undercarriage. Mm-hmm. Really p- pawing it. Pawing at the crevices of your body with a little piece of paper is a it's a terrible idea because they're crevices. It's, yeah, right. I mean, if there was a part of a car that had like a weird fleshy dip like that, you wouldn't just be pawing at it with little uh, with little squares of paper. Well, especially not if they salt the roads where you live. Right. Imagine there's something worse than salt down there. 
But but shouldn't there? Shouldn't you, should, you would spray it. You would put something on your hose and you would spray uh, it. Wait a minute, on my hose? On the on your uh, on your garden hose? Are we? Uh, uh, why don't human beings have undercoating come straight from the factory? <laughs> that costs extra, but you can get it with the uh, you can get it with the the extended warranty package. Oh, so go ahead. <laughs> Oh, that true coat. So tell me more about Hello Tushy. Uh, instead of pawing at yourself with little squares of paper, just use a precise stream of fresh water that comes complete with the Smart Spray Automatic Self-Cleaning Nozzle. What could be more hygienic, John, than the Smart Spray Automatic Self-Cleaning Nozzle? That's going to get that salt right off of there. I wish my nozzle was automatic and self-cleaning. Mm-hmm. And, well, and put it on any toilet because you don't need any electricity. You don't need any additional plumbing. Uh, it's a bidet that will pay for itself because your toilet paper expenditures will plummet. But what about schmutz, Ken? What do you do about schmutz? You know, the makers of the Hello Tushy 3.0 have considered schmutz long and hard. Have they? And they have come up with a schmutz shield. <laughs> what? Is that trademarked? Is it schmutz shield TM? Yes. We cannot have a schmutz gap. <laughs> so your device will clean itself easily. The knobs are antimicrobial. Wait, knobs? <laughs> the knobs of your bidet oh, okay. are antimicrobial. So you can use it with confidence. Uh, well, what if this uh, What if this doesn't last? Is there any kind of... Uh, is, there, is there a chance the tracks will bend? Yeah. Is, what, 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 do I, uh, what do I do? How, what, what assurance do I have that this device will last let's say i'm a hard user if i if i were to tell you that this bidet came with a 60-day risk-free guarantee and a 12-month warranty would that would that ease your concerns would that would that put me into a to a could i get you today into a hello tissue 3.0 modern bidet a 12-month warranty that's pretty darn good pretty good and 60-day risk-free guarantee if you find that this does not uh improve that part of your life your your little private part once a day mm-hmm. uh, uh who it, says it's little if it doesn't make it better <laughs> or the hour you spend in there just to get away from your kids well what if i already have a hello tushy you could upgrade you could upgrade to the 3.0 model here's what you need to do go to hellotushy.com slash omnibus and with that code you will get 10 percent off your order and you'll get free shipping so this has omnibus in it is this a special offer for our listeners at hellotushy.com slash omnibus it is you'll get 10 percent off at hellotushy.com slash omnibus that's hellotushy.com slash omnibus but i guess the, the assumption is that in the animal world this stuff always works so there wouldn't be any more animals right so uh stitzworth comes back two weeks later and says what do you think my testicle is inflamed and is falling off. <laughs> Why is my scrotum now the size of a uh, human head? No, what does he say? He says, my wife is so happy with your procedure. Yeah, he's all, everything worked great. Wow, no kidding. And it's, you know, for obvious reasons. There's a psychological component here. And he thought he had a, uh, he thought he had goat. Uh, goat powers. Yeah, goat elixir is zooming through his, uh, uh, what do you have down there? Uh, his, uh, he zone. noticed, he noticed a vas deferens. Let's put <laughs> it that way. And you should be in jail. You should be in jail. And, uh, you know, it's like the magic feather from Dumbo. Like it was right. all psychosomatic, but you know, if he thought it was going to work, presto. You can do it. You can do it. And now I don't envy his wife. John, and John Brank- Brinkley sees an opening here. Um, because now he starts to advertise that he is now a surgeon, something he was not before. Right. And he goes to Chicago to study surgery and actually fails the course. Sure. 
But <laughs> understandable. But apparently tells the professor, uh, I have a scheme up my sleeve and the whole world will hear of it. Which Ooh. is really not what you should say on the record when you're about to embark on a on a con. Up his sleeve or <laughs> um and uh, so Brinkley starts to advertise that he has the cure for what ails you down there. And all the gentlemen of Milford, Kansas line up. Soon he's doing 50 uh, goat gland implantations a month, uh, charging 50 a week, I think, charging $750. That would be $9,000 a pop. So clearly he's expanded to the big city. Whoa. If he can charge... Nine thousand, two thousand, twenty dollars. Whoa! Because surely insurance is not covering this. Uh, right, right. But I mean, maybe it does. I mean, it, there's often a lot made of how all these, you know, every HMO will pay for Viagra, can but not you, for whatever the uh, you know equivalent of female medicine is. Can you put a price though on your reliability on your performance? Apparently, there are plenty of men who are at the end of their rope, as it were. Oh boy. Uh, and he starts to get a name for himself. He sponsors a little league team called the Brinkley Goats. Okay. Uh, you know, he's a very good, mar- he's not a good surgeon, but he's a great marketer, you know, cause he's in Los Angeles and Chicago and, and because this seems to work because people will say, yeah, you know, once I had the confidence that came with a, a Brinkley ball in my old bag, things just went so much better. You know, he's able to find leading citizens of Chicago all the way out to Los Angeles judges and, and, uh, city fathers and newspaper editors and uh and everybody agrees that this is working and will provide testimonials uh he begins offering in you know women infertile women women who can't conceive uh goat ovary implants based on the same principles uh hmm. this i'm not sure fertility in a woman is quite the same it's not really based in the same pheromonal rutting there certainly is the female clientele certainly seems to be more skeptical <laughs> and let's give them credit on that point uh-huh, because right? it turns out that the money is in is in the testes yeah as is so often the case yes um, in 1923 he starts his own radio station Milford's own KFKB Kansas first Kansas best I guess is he on, I mean is he on the air just for a couple of hours a day or it's a mix of programming, but all the amid all the programming, some of which is him uh, doing like his his talk show medical question box, yeah. which is basically great name love line. Um, uh-huh. Except you know, no matter what the question is, the answer is always goat glands, which he, he's now touting as a panacea for everything. <laughs> Doctor, I've been having a hard time getting my fingers to work in the morning. What do I do? Well, what he would say actually, he had a genius idea, which is to start numbering his his um, patent medicines. Oh. Because in that case, he didn't even have to tell you what it was. He right, didn't have right. to. There was no pretense, and people loved hearing, oh, number 61. He'd be like, well, for your fingers, what you need is some of my number 61, and I can send you a vial of that in the mail. You right. know? So uh, right to, people loved hearing that they were getting number 61 or number 29 or whatever. Mambo number five. And it was all just, you know, medical question box was just offering more of the colored water he uh, he would inject into your buttocks if he could. <laughs> And then in the ads, you know, the ad time would all be him, you know, so in between advertising, there would be literal ads where he would say, witness the stallion, you know, like if you're a gelding, you know, look at the erect, proud, flowing stallion ready for anything, you know, 
Uh, Don't be a gelding. Exactly. Although it's a little late for the gelding. <laughs> right. The gelding uh, just needs some goat glands, I think. <laughs> soon he's making, he's, soon he's selling, se- uh, selling $10,000 a week, and there are businesses in, you know, thoroughfares of cities with, you know, signage advertising goat glands for sale or implantation there. He is now part of a quasi-medical empire. Wow. And this is how I first heard of him, by the way. I was watching an old Buster. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I was uh, back in the early 20s. I was walking down the streets of uh, Wichita. My wife said. No, there was a, I was watching a Buster Keaton movie, uh, like an old silent comedy short subject. And there's a Buster walked by a, a place that says Goat Glands is the name of the, st- or the storefront says Goat Glands. And it's a. It's, is it played for laughs? Yeah, it's not just a, a. Here's part of the fabric of life. It's it's a sight gag where he kind of uh-huh. does a double take, and uh-huh. I think maybe he considers it, and then he brushes it off. You know, he, and I was like, "What is the joke here? <laughs> Why is Buster thinking about goat clans?" <laughs> and this sent me down the down the goat hole, as it were, of of John Romulus Brinkley. Um, it's not. It's not foolproof, as you said. He's not a surgeon. Yeah. It's you don't want to just keep cutting people's genitals up and hoping for the best. There's no penicillin at the time. Right. And by some accounts, as many as forty-two people die as a result of his miracle cures. Collateral damage. Yeah, I mean, that's what you need for science to advance, right? Right. Sometimes sometimes there's a, a greater good. Uh in nineteen thirty, he starts to have his first adverse his first adversity, the Federal Radio Commission, I mean, even though he's killed dozens of people, the first people that come after him are the FCC. Because it's an unlicensed radio. Yeah, the radio station is like, you can't just put up ads for yourself. We have rules about that kind of thing. You know, because it was the wild, radio was the Wild West for a while. Right. And then the government moves in and now they're going to tell you, you can't just advertise phony patent medicines 24-7 using right. yourself as the advertiser. Uh, and they say this violates their policy and they take away his license. And then the Kansas Medical Board uh, starts investigating some of these uh, oh boy, ill effects of his surgeries. Here we go. And they take away his medical license. Nanny state. The nanny state. The nanny goat state, as it were. <laughs> He's a billy goat in a, in a nanny goat world. And Brinkley, but Brinkley has an idea. He knows how to get around the state of Kansas. Three days later, he announces he is running for governor. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, it's not, unfortunately he has missed the because the governor appoints the medical board, so all he has to do it's it's the right it's the Pennsylvania school board uh, problem. It's the Trump theory. You yeah. Just appoint people that uh, won't prosecute you or will pardon you or, or whatever. And, uh, and he's a very popular character at this point. Oh, he's he's beloved because everybody listens to his radio station, and everyone sees his. Cure all advertised everywhere. Some of the ads are like, you know, there's an ad where he poses with the first goat gland baby, and it's a photo op of him oh. with an actual baby that's been produced through the uh, good graces of, of, uh, you know, goat jizz. Well, a lot of his, a lot of his per, uh, per, uh, prospective voters are walking around with these goat glands in their in their balls, literally in their pants. And uh, unfortunately, he's he's announced his candidacy too late to get on the ballot, so he's going to have to run as a write-in well, candidate. That's a hard. That's a hard. It's run. an uphill battle, but he he's a genius self-promoter. He flies around the state, barnstorms around the state in his own plane, and he kind of you know this being the early '30s, it's very easy for him to remake himself into a kind of a populist father Coughlin. Type. Was that how we said it? Coughlin. How do you say? Coughlin. Coughlin. A father Coughlin type. You know, full of. Um, you know, populist fist shaking against right. 
you know, the evils of, of big government that won't let the little man do what he wants and, and put the glands he wants in his balls. Does he wear a leather flight cap uh, with the strap off? Almost certainly. Jauntily. Right? If, he, if, he, if he flies into your town in yeah. his little biplane and tells you that the, that, you know, the, the government would have told Jesus not to do anything in his day either, you know? Well, at first he flies really low over your town and crop dusts it with a bunch of musk, goat musk. And once everybody's really, <laughs> are you horny for change? He yells from his biplane. Uh, and it's it looks like he's gonna win, you know, because yeah. it's the it's Depression era Dust Bowl, and everybody likes an entertainer who will tell them that uh, things are gonna get better. But then Herbert Hoover, worse, oh. Harry, uh, the, uh, I don't know the name. The state, the Attorney General of Kansas, sees what's coming and does not want this guy to be governor. And you know, I'm sure he's a crony of maybe uh, the one of the other candidates. Right. Of, and he, of big uh, human pheromone. And he rules that a vote for Brinkley will only be accepted if it, if the write-in vote actually says J.R. Brinkley spelled correctly. Okay. No misspellings or variants. I feel like this was an issue when Murkowski was write-in in Alaska, wasn't uh-huh, it? Because uh-huh. she's got a hard-to-spell name. Mm-hmm. Are you going to accept Murtkowski? <laughs> you know, like on Jeopardy, you could get away maybe with a, a wrong vowel pronunciation, but boy, if you add a consonant... You're going to lose that game. Is that right? Now, how much of that was up to Alex and how much of it was some behind the scenes like group? Alex was making a lot of calls on the fly, but mostly informed ones because nobody had as much experience adjudicating that show as him. But if you put an extra C in a word, uh, that was was enough. Do you remember the kid that lost on Kids Week because he put emancipation proclamation with an extra T? Oh. And Jeopardy abided by its rules and said, hey, I'm I'm afraid this is not a plausible way to spell the word emancipation because you have written a different word with a different sound, emancipation, and that's our bright line test. But the kid had, it broke the kid's heart. A lot of fans. And his parents were stage parents. So the next day they're on the morning shows complaining about how they got jobbed by Jeopardy, which was just following its own rules. But right. let's just say Jeopardy hasn't had a kid's week or a teen week since then. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Um, but on a write-in ballot, it is a little trickier, you know? How how close can you come from Murkowski or John Romulus Brinkley? I guess he's John Richard Brinkley by now. So this is a, this is a voter suppression technique. Absolutely. it's an And it's kind of an Evo Morales issue where, you know, on the, on the one hand, maybe we don't admire uh, the constitutional tricks that are being pulled to keep this guy on, out of office. On the other hand, do we really want this guy, the goat gland guy running a third term or the goat gland guy running Kansas? Yeah. So it takes 12 days to tally up all the votes because it's this is trickier in a write-in election. Uh, Brinkley comes in only like 34,000 votes off the lead. Hmm. Still a lot of votes in rural Kansas. Yeah, but it's you know it's an election of half a million votes, so it's it's he's within what he's within ten percent certainly or less of the winner. Harry Woodring, later of FDR's cabinet, wins the gubernatorial seat, but he had even he admits that had he actually been on the ballot, yeah, that had Brinkley, that had all the misspelled votes been accepted or the variants of J.R. Brinkley, um, you know, people who put a uh, um, goat nad guy or whatever, <laughs> like he would have lost. Like uh, wow. Brinkley should have been governor of Kansas. That's how close he came. But four years later, it was too late. Well, by four years later, he's been run out of Kansas. Uh, 
he, um, you know, it looked like he was going to win, but the fix was in. And he flees to Del Rio, Texas, where he now um, takes up the prostate, as we all do at some point in our lives. Oh, yes. At some, at some point in middle age. He, he now decides that goat glands are the cure for what ails your prostate. It's the number one conversation in men over their 70s, <laughs> over their 60s even, maybe. And, uh, and so he decides that he's going to um, rebrand himself as the prostate guy, still using the same, the same goat juices. But is he putting the goat juice directly in the prostate? Or is he still putting it in the testicles? How does he administer it as a prostate cure? I mean, he's doing surgeries, um, which I'm sure are the equivalent of those, the fake Andy Kaufman thing where you go to Mexico and they pretend they did something to you, but really they don't. I'm sure he's doing as little as possible in there to, to uh, right. reduce the chances of, of uh, somebody dying. Side effects, yeah. You can definitely stimulate the prostate in a way that feels like surgery. Or not. Or the best surgery, who knows? Right, right. It's, it's kind of up to the skill of the uh, of the J.R. Brinkley, this I guess. This is the best surgery I ever had. <laughs> I'm going to need another few of these, I think, Doc. Uh, and his secret sauce is, you know, he's had success with his radio station in Kansas. So he's got the foolproof way to get on the map in Del Rio, Texas, which is to cross the Mexican border and start a radio station that would not be legal under U.S. guidelines. He's on the Mexican radio. He invents... What? The Mexican border blaster. The X, the Station X border blaster? As far as I can tell, like a bunch of, uh, he starts XER. Whoa. And gets the Mexican government to give him like a million watt license, which means Alaska to Panama is now hearing medical question box and ads for Dr. Brinkley's uh, miracle prostate cure. He heard it on the X, or I heard it. They heard it on the X. That's the, the ZZ the Top ZZ song, right? Top song. Yeah, there's a series of great, okay, so this is the same time when other people are getting the same idea, but from what I can tell... Uh, Dr. Brinkley has a pretty good case of being the first Mexican border blaster. Whoa. These stations that don't have to be licensed and can therefore play whatever they want. And I guess maybe you're not paying royalties. Is that how pirate radio usually works? Well, so I considered doing border blasters as an omnibus topic, but since we're talking about it now. Well, maybe we should hold off. Like, cause you know, well, I'm no, cause I'm going to have to go back and tell the story of, of, uh, Brinkley. We got here, we got here by this way. I'm sure there are other, other, uh you know, radio entrepreneurs who started up systems at the same time with this, because it's, it's an obvious idea. Well, Mexican radio stations, you know, pirate radio stations, um, they continued into the late 1970s. That's why it was such a popular topic, uh, in pop music. But you know, that was also popular in the UK, those offshore radio stations. And yeah, the, in the Beatles grew up hearing, songs that the BBC wouldn't play over what Lux radio Luxembourg. Yeah. Right. Well, but they also, they just would put up a radio station out on one of those oil platforms yeah. and beam it into the UK. Yeah. There's like a Richard Curtis movie about it. Wow. Um, that's fascinating that it all started here with this. And well, his quote, which, you know, guy. when, when it's credited to him, it's because he, he said, you know, the idea that came to him was radio waves will pay no attention to lines on a map. Yep. Just kind of this, this uh, new era where you don't have to worry about borders or telegraph lines. Because it's just all the strength of the transmitter. So now he was blowing out the Grand Old Opry on people's uh, radios, and he became what? The most popular man in America? He is actually playing the Grand Old Opry. He, uh, you know, the way he decides to get his uh, unguents and salves and uh, miracle cures recommended to an audience is to do it in the ads of his uh, Appalachian music, of, of his childhood in North Carolina. You know, this was... 
rural, little-known music, but suddenly he is broadcasting it from Alaska to Panama. Wait he, a minute, are you saying he popularized country and western music? I'm not saying country and western music never would have happened, but he. I think this appears to be a big means by which this local rural music hit a mass audience. Wow. Because now people in Alaska can hear... Famous country and western, or famous uh, like uh, Appalachian music fans yeah. in Alaska. <laughs> yeah, they love the Carter family <laughs> up do, there. They're they always do. talking about it. Actually. And, you know, and so half the time it's this, and half the time it's his kind of pop, the same kind of populist bunkum he was, he was spouting on the campaign trail. It's, you know, kind of, I'm sure his right-wing, anti-New Deal, anti-regulation tirades, mm-hmm. and then interspersed with... Uh, Fertility cures. Yeah, you need some goat in your boat. Having trouble peeing? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so now a hemisphere can hear him, and he cleans up. Wow. He's got a palatial mansion. He's got three yachts. So he's broadcasting from Mexico, but he, but he's still living in the United States. Exactly. He is he has persuaded the Mexican government to give him XER, which becomes full time, uh, uh, good down home music and uh, populist uh, yelling and ads for prostate tickling. And he, but in in doing this, he becomes big enough to make a very powerful enemy. You know, I said that there were different strains of medicine at this time, but this is right around the time when there's an inflection point and the AMA is formed to kind of stamp out all the quacks and weirdos. Right. I thought you were going to say it was Ted Turner, but you're saying it's the doctors. I'm saying it's the Journal of the American Medical Association and specifically the head of the AMA at the time, one, or at least the editor of, of, uh, JAMA? What do you call the magazine? Do you say it like an acronym or do you say it like an initialism? The Journal of the American Medical Association. That's why I said it that way before, because I didn't know. <laughs> Morris Fishbein, one Morris Fishbein, the editor of the journal, uh, takes particular exception to Brinkley's methods and his success. Boy, if you're going to have make an enemy in this world, don't have it be Morris Fishbein. This is now the arm of the most powerful medical organization in America, which again is decided it's going to clean up the patent medicine uh, quackery. And he writes a big editorial about how, what a quack Brinkley is and don't be fooled. And Brinkley makes the classic Oscar Wilde mistake and sues the guy for libel. Oh boy. Cause the only people that read that before were doctors who already knew it. It shouldn't be called the Streisand effect. It should be called the, the goat ball fish buying effect. So he sues him. And then all of a sudden he's in time magazine. Yeah, so then all of a sudden there's a big trial at which Fishbein, in which he would have to bring proof that his that he is not a quack, and Fishbein can bring evidence that in fact, uh, Brinkley is not a good doctor, and that putting goat juice in your sack is not helpful, and uh, he loses the case. Mm. Uh, the IRS starts to come at him now that he's weakened. The IRS comes at him for mail fraud because he's been defrauding people with the federal right. mails, which again is the kind of thing that gets the government involved. The IRS comes after him because again, he's got three yachts and maybe he's not paying all his taxes. And the fact that he's been now, his libel suit is unsuccessful means that people can start coming after him for damages. Malpractice. Oh, geez. Uh, so he is suddenly goes from one of the most famous doctors in quotes in America to just bankrupted by Hundreds of suits. And by 1942, he is living penniless and alone in San Antonio, which is where he dies of a heart attack, ending the the goat story. Wow. I thought you were going to say that he ended up 
roaming around San Antonio in a cart pulled by a goat. That would be a fun end. I don't believe he was actually ever a goat believer. I don't know if he ever. Oh, oh. yeah. I don't, I don't know you think he, this was all quackery? He didn't actually feel like you know what this is. There's something to this. Well, he's telling people if he's specifically telling people, yeah, yeah, I'm hooking up all the ducts and the and the and the capillaries. Don't you worry. But he oh, knows he's, he's just sliding it between layers of their skin. I see. Like he, he has to know for them, and he even when it works, he has to know that. Yeah, you could tell these people anything, and they would suddenly. Um, hit the sack with new confidence. Sure. Way, way more troubling to think that he actually hooked up the capillaries. Yeah. yeah you, it's much better. Actually, yeah. In fact, if you're going to be putting a slice of, of baby goat ball in someone, yeah, closer to the surface, the better. That's my rule of thumb. But his, well, isn't uh, that fascinating that the, that, that, um, that he had such a lasting and potentially lasting effect on American culture. So the Mexican radio stations, as you mentioned, the border blasters, uh, survive into the into the 50s when one of them i think it's xer his own station hires a young wolfman jack robert weston smith who becomes wolfman jack no really on the air and helps popularize rock and roll rhythm and blues turning into rock and roll as the the new sound of the american youth you know we all assume wolfman jack was in that studio outside modesto from american graffiti right and in fact every community had that rumor that wolfman jack was you know, just on the other side of the railroad tracks, he's in some little, I think even in American graffiti, they're like, no, I heard he's up in Canada. No, I heard he's in San Diego, you know? In fact, he was, uh, you know, he was broadcasting from TJ, the Mexican border in, uh, in continuation of the legacy of, of John Brickley. So if you want to think about the forces of virility and potency, he gave America, he gave us rock and roll. That's you know? incredible. He gave us Chuck Berry and little Richard and all the, all the babies that were conceived as a result. And wall of voodoo. So maybe. Gave us new wave too. Yeah. So if you or anyone you know was conceived. Anytime to, between 1935 and present. To a post uh, R&B or even, you know, he gave us country music apparently. So any uh, post folk music, um, it turned out John Brinkley really did know how to, how to make babies. Well, you know, my parents both were jazz people. Oh, and so I have escaped. I have completely escaped his influence. Like all, um, like all good church going folk, I was conceived to Handel's Messiah. Right. And <laughs> right? I, I too. Sung am, by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. I too am not a Brinkley baby, but so you and I are probably the last in America. Yeah, that's right. Well, high five, or I mean, that seems like more of a rock and roll thing. So I guess you and I should do some sort of Masonic handshake. You shouldn't tell people that you were that you were a jazz product. That I'm a jazz baby? Yeah. Just pretend it was the, you know, pretend it was. What? I don't know. What, what, what else is there? You, you're saying it should be marching band music? <laughs> Conceived to a Susan March. No, let's see. You were born in 69. 68. 68. So it could literally be, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So but my parents were eschewing rock and roll at the time, scoffing at it and scorning it. But chronologically, you could have been. Conceived to the Stones or or uh, it's possible or right. Hendrix or Muddy Waters or whatever you want. I mean, maybe this, stuff, but you know, I think I was conceived on a cruise ship in like the oh, wow. in, in Honolulu. So Mantovani or Don Ho? No, it would have been Don Ho. <laughs> and that concludes Goat Glands. It's fun. <laughs> Meh. <laughs> 
Entry 536.AC0409. Certificate number 42674 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, I'm sure it is completely goat-centric. You know, there might be Mexican radios even then, because, of course, those borders will... We're the Mexican radio of the future, John. Oh, we are. Yeah, we're broadcasting from space. (laughs) From orbit. Uh, Well, in that case, you can follow Ken's um, written works that he types out with his little hooves at Ken Jennings on social media. You can find me participating in the discourse group on my Patreon site at patreon.com slash John Roderick. But you can support the Omnibus Project on patreon.com at patreon.com slash omnibus project. And uh, different contribution levels on our Patreon um, give you access to different cool features, including addenda episodes and um, opportunities to, uh, to actually contribute to the show and the making of the show. We, you can, we cannot do it without you or right. them. If you're not one of the you, why not right. be one of the you? It's time to, it's time to hop on board. Yeah. Uh, upgrade from being a them to a you. You train is leaving the station. Um, you can hang out with other futurelings, wherever futurelings appear on the internet, Facebook, Reddit, um, discord. Say their name three Discourse. times in a mirror at night and they will appear. Uh, and uh, you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com, and you can send us actual packages to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Now, what do you got over there in the, the old feed bag? Alex uh, sent us a postcard. Uh, oh, this is Donner Lake. This is nice because we... Uh, oh, that is nice. ...recently added to the... Uh, recently added to the omnibus, although... Oh, wait, that Alex show hasn't aired yet. No, how did Alex know? Creepy Alex. He's in Salt Lake City. He's traveling cross country from Tiburon, California to Philadelphia, PA. Go, go, go. How's he traveling? Listening to Omnibus on the trip. I don't know. I'm going to assume... Goat pulled cart. I'm going to assume goat cart. Yeah, that's how I would get across the Sierra Nevada. Thanks, Alex. And then Beth sent us an Edward Gorey card telling us about her new uh, masks that she has sewn. Love that, Edward Gorey. Oh, she's made some masks. I'm not sure if... I don't believe this is our previous mask correspondent. Maybe this is a new mask maker. Well, I believe that Beth may be uh, a participant of uh, a, uh, a regular poster on my uh, aforementioned discourse site. Maybe this is the previous one because she definitely knows that we have different sized faces. Oh, look at that. Here's the giant. The big bearded Roderick one. sized mask. How many masks did we get over there? Ooh, ooh, three of each size. Oh, I, I mean, like and these. you know. Oh, these are cool. We're both vaccinated now, but apparently Beth knows something we don't about new variants coming out of India because <laughs> she is loading us up with masks well, just in case. You know, I believe that uh, that socially you're still sort of somewhat uh, obligated to wear a mask just to make other people feel comfortable. Let's see how see how it goes. Can you can you hear 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 me? <laughs> you do need a bigger mask than me. That's a lot of face. Yeah, somebody said to me the other day that by that the beard poking out of the bottom of my mask was discomforting. These are uh, these are reversible, it looks like. Yeah. Oh, and they also have adjustable ear tensioners. I'm going to need to adjust mine because even these small ones are 
too big for my face, unless I threw you the small ones. Huh, no, no, these are the big ones. How do you? How do you? How does? How does it look? It's good. Yeah, thanks. That's got a real like kind of a Arabian Nights thing going on with that red and gold one. Mm -hmm. You're ready to take me back to your. Ready to roll. Ready to fly my magic carpet. Oh no, they're not reversible. They're just lined with this nice cornflower uh, pattern. Very nice. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Beth. Listeners, from our vantage point here in your distant past, we have no idea how long this civilization survived before the goats replaced us all. We hope and pray that that catastrophe may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if Providence or Baphomet allow, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>